When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, welcome back into the final edition in June of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. A lot to get to and to get over, just like the Stanley Cup finals have gotten over, just like the College Baseball World Series has gotten over. And we now head kind of into the dog days of summer. We're ready to talk about some news, some ratings, and much more. I am merely the somewhat uh, capable host of the program, TJ Reeves. He is the purveyor, the guy that you read uh, on sportsmediawatch.com. John Lewis uh, back here again for another edition of the podcast. How are things uh, here? No shortage of info, news, ratings, et cetera, even in the summer. How are you? I'm doing I'm uh, doing better than the lightning, right? So, oh, you yeah. had to go there in the first 90 seconds of the podcast. Yeah. Well, it's not Tampa Bay anymore, right? That's true. And, and uh, both times it was Stan Kroenke uh, taking out the the Bucks Very with the true. Rams and taking out. I didn't the remember Kroenke completing that long pass to Cooper Cup or scoring the go ahead oh. goal in Game Six. But if you say so, he is the well, owner. Well, it's the, the owners, right? It's it, all all of this is just the owner's property. That's all. It was it was it was Wick Grosbeck versus Joe Lacob in the finals, not Steph versus Jason Tatum. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and as more than one person has pointed out, uh, he's the first owner in history to win a Super Bowl and a Stanley Cup in the same season. And more than one has tongue in cheek pointed out and be hated uh, vilified in uh, two other markets where the team used to be yeah. in both of those cases uh, as Kroenke moved both the uh, the Avalanche and moved the Rams to L.A. Uh, so in any event, yes, Colorado has won the Stanley Cup. The hockey is over, and we're going to get into that coming up. What else to add to that? Well, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure they hate him less in Quebec than in St. Louis, where they've still got that <laughs> giant stadium where they have nothing to uh, to do there. Well, right. And uh, and St. Louis is still proceeding right with the lawsuit or have they finally resolved that or what are they going to end up paying or whatever from uh, from uh, no, we're not moving to L.A. No, we're not moving to. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, we are moving to L.A. It wasn't as bad, though, as the Colts with the Mayflower vans. You've seen the video because I'm older than you. Colts with the Mayflower vans in the snow that year in March moving out of the middle of the night, but it was, it was bad when the Rams moved to LA. We understand why they did it. And now they have the Super Bowl and they're the defending champs. Anyway, Colorado joins them. 
Um, and speaking of Champa Bay, by the way, the late Bill Davidson is the only owner to have ever with the Detroit Pistons and the Tampa Bay or Champa Bay Lightning have won the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup yeah. uh, in the same season as an owner. He did that in 2004 with the Pistons and with the Lightning. So, hey, you stick around long enough, you will see it all. Uh, all right, so we've got much to get to, including that. A reminder again, however you found this podcast, make sure that you follow or subscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. You not only get this program every week, but you get the other great content. George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, where he goes at length with a broadcaster with some intriguing uh, stories about their career, about uh, how they got into the business, et cetera, and usually with a Chicago tie of some kind for George to tie it back in. George's guest this week is John Rooney, the longtime uh, play-by-play voice of both the Chicago White Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals. But, John, a staggering amount of Major League Baseball nationally, NCAA college football and basketball nationally, including the Final Four on national radio. John has uh, already been put into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame and uh, is definitely iconic, probably a candidate. I will just say this, and I know John a little bit, probably a candidate for that Ford Frick Award, which is for the baseball media to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I heard you agree a little bit there in the background, John Lewis. John Rooney's been doing this for so long, including at the national level, that he's got to be in that conversation baseball-wise. Yeah, well, you know, what team has had a better run of broadcasters than the Cardinals, right? Uh, Joe Buck, Jack Buck, Tim McCarver. You get a lot of national guys watching uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Yeah, and uh, Mike Shannon has been a legend there forever and finally, I think, has cut back or retired. Shannon was doing the radio 40 years ago with Jack Buck before Joe Buck and before others that have been involved. So uh, tremendous. And there's such allegiance in the Midwestern part of the country to that team and the radio team and the mighty KMOX radio station that Rooney's on. Anyway, listen to that story on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. By the way, another brother podcast that is here on the Sports Media Watch feed is the Announcer Schedules podcast. Uh, And again, for Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mollen, they do a tremendous job breaking down who are the announcers announcing these games on the play-by-play calls, whether it's Sean McDonough calling the NHL Stanley Cup with Ray Ferraro. Uh, Their guest this week, by the way, John Lewis, a, a plug for them coming out later in the week is Kevin Kugler, Longtime Westwood One national play-by-play voice, uh, but also now Fox Sports play-by-play voice on the NFL, Big Ten Network on TV for college football and basketball. And he's been doing the Final Four for the better part of about 15 years now on radio and just worked the College World Series on national radio for Westwood One. Kevin Kugler will be telling all kinds of stories about announcing all kinds of things with Mike and Phil on Announcer Schedules, the podcast. If you're on this podcast feed, you get it automatically. Make sure you follow or subscribe and hear their show as well right on this uh, feed. So I look forward to hearing more from Kevin Kugler later in the week as well. With all of that out of the way, circle back to Colorado's first Stanley Cup win in, what, 21 years as they win uh, in game six back on Sunday night. And so, John, so the ratings have begun to come in. ESPN spinning this sum, comparing it to last year. Uh, Delve in here. How well did it do? Did it not do nationally with Colorado's uh, dramatic win in six games? They won game six, two to one to win the cup. Well, it's so difficult to evaluate these numbers nowadays because, you know, 
you don't want to be too critical because look at the era of TV we're in, but you don't want to be too positive because you don't want to give people the wrong idea. You know, uh, the fact of the matter is this was right in the middle of the road, smack dab in the middle, the 10th most watched cup final in the past 20. Right. Uh, so right in the middle of the road. Now, what does that mean in this era of TV? Middle of the road is pretty darn good in this era of TV. You know, I mean, 4 million viewers is not the same as it was 10 years ago or five years ago. Uh, certainly in the demographics, you know, getting a one rating in the demo in 18 to 49, nothing on TV can do that really anymore outside of sports. So middle of the road compared to where the NHL was is not the same as being middle of the road. But by that standard, pretty much every sporting event is going to do well. Let's, let's just be real about where TV ratings are for sports right now. The only way to look at these numbers as being negative is if you compare them to what they were. Stripped of that context, everyone's doing well. Well, maybe not the USFL, right? But mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, you know, maybe the USFL is doing well. I mean, because I mean, the overall viewership isn't great, but let me see what it did on Saturday night, the playoff game on NBC. Uh, that had a, oh, actually pretty bad, uh, 0.16 in 18 to 49. Even NBC Nightly News was better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not the USFL for sure. But for the most part. Well, it did okay while we digress. It's done okay enough that Fox has said we will remain right. committed and it will be back, at least on Fox, for whatever that's worth. But right. the, the larger point you've been making over and over again is you compare this number to other years, it doesn't look as good, but compared to the rest of TV, it's still a solid win for ABC. And elaborate on this, you wrote about this. This is the first time they've had every game on network TV. Isn't it correct going all the way back to ESPN and ABC, or is it ever? Ever. Ever. And that's a big caveat. That's something that honestly is hard for me to remember sometimes because Obviously, we're used to these series being always on over-the-year TV. This is what normal is, but that's a big factor comparing to prior years. So it is true. This series had a distinct advantage over prior years beyond out-of-home. Having all all six games on broadcast is a way bigger advantage than out-of-home. And so from that perspective, you definitely want to provide that context. Because not having to have two games on NBCSN that will inevitably have, you know, upwards of two million fewer viewers than the other games, that's a big deal. And so when we say, well, it ranks middle of the road, you know, look, it was down 14% from Blues Bruins. It'd be down a lot more than 14% if Blues Bruins hadn't been on NBCSN in games two and three, right? So that's a a big caveat, bigger than the out of home, in my view. Um, And look, I mean, next year, it's all the games are going to be on cable and you're going to have another big caveat. Like how can you possibly, you, you're pretty much barring a, an incredible matchup next year. If they get like Blackhawks Rangers, or, you know, maybe the Blackhawks aren't a draw anymore after all that entire scandal that happened, who knows, but if they get like the maximal best case matchup, then like they Colorado going for the repeat against the Montreal Canadiens, which would bring in much no. more Canada, but the, the Canadians may well, not do as well in no. the U S yeah. you don't want the, well, but maybe New York, like you said, maybe York, the Rangers. Yeah. yeah. You don't want the Canadians in there. No. Uh, Canadian teams are not factored into us TV ratings. So you don't want them at all. If you mm-hmm. have to have one, then you would want Toronto against, you know, maybe a Chicago that could do well, or 
you know, Vancouver, Boston did okay back in 11. Uh, but you don't want Montreal in there. Uh, you, you certainly don't want them against Colorado. But, you know, uh, a matchup that involves top markets, you know, maybe next year goes to full seven, you have a chance. But other than that, you're guaranteed like a 20%. To decline. your point, let's go back to our discussion just briefly. In the final four, this was one of the rotational years of TBS having the men's college basketball semifinals and championship game. The Duke-North Carolina game on that Saturday night got like in the neighborhood. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, and John, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, something like 12 to 15 million. No, it, it was bigger than that. It was maybe it was it, bigger than that. Yeah. But my point is it was probably three million less, maybe exactly. more than if the game had been on CBS broadcast TV that night. It cost them easily three or four million viewers, did it not? Which is your I point. I think so. I mean it's, TV. you know, when those numbers came out, I was kind of disappointed by them because it wasn't just that it was the matchup, it was a great game, like an all-time game. So you're judging the audience by well. When was the last time we had a matchup this good on paper that delivered this much on the court, Kentucky versus Wisconsin, right? That was also on cable, and that was, what, 22 million viewers. So for Duke UNC to come in at 17.6, that was a little bit, you know, anemic, right? You, you, you would have thought it would do better than that. In the context of the NBA Finals having Steph versus Boston and not getting to 14 million for a single game, that looks a lot better now than All it did All on network TV, yeah, exactly. too. For the, yeah. for the NBA. And so that UNC Duke game looks a lot better now than it did in March. But even still, you know, that game should have had more viewers than that. 17.7 million. I mean, it's a great number for today, but should have been a lot better. And it turns that. out to be Coach K's final game, which was part of the exactly. backdrop. So that's what you're saying uh, with that. So in the end here, in the in the final analysis, give me one more take. How I mean... How much nationally? So I'm in the Tampa Bay market. You know where my allegiance is. We're still wounded that they did not get the three-peat. How yeah. much do you think that grasped on as this wore on with the lightning in this series, or did it just not register enough in the Northeast, the upper Midwest, and the rest of the country that the lightning were going for this as opposed to it being a New York team or a yeah. Boston team being in there? What's your opinion? I don't think the ratings would have been much different with the New York team in there. I really don't. You know, I think, you know, there's just too, too few people watching TV to get to those levels that we saw. I, you know, bringing back in Duke UNC, I would love to know the difference in the viewing levels between June of this year and April, because my thought is that there's been an extra drop off. I don't know if it's COVID related people finally starting to feel like that's over with or, you know, or what, but I mean, the, the, it, to me, the viewing levels being what they are certainly makes that UNC Duke number much more impressive. So if the viewing levels in April were anything close to what they are now, UNC Duke getting 18 million is a huge success story. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I just have a hard time believing that if New York had been there, the ratings would have been dramatically better. Uh, and, you know, I think we're at a place that's beyond markets at this point with uh, sports TV ratings. Well, but again, for the NHL, two points that need to be made. They did get this year all on network TV yeah. and they got significantly more for all of their teams in the rights deal that Gary yes. Bettman and the league did by splitting it to both ESPN and Turner for the postseason ESPN, ABC. And so while they may suffer a little bit ratings wise, when you're putting extra tens of millions of dollars every year, 
on the TV deal in everybody's pocket around the uh, around the league, you can live with that a little bit more for well, what they make because the N- the NHL rights deal is distant fourth, distant yeah. fourth with trying to get money. Well, you know, look, uh, MLS has what uh, twenty six viewers a game, and they just got two hundred and fifty million at minimum from Apple, and so the reality of the matter is. It doesn't matter what your audience is. It doesn't matter, right? You know, people have been operating under this, uh, the Clay Travis fantasy, go woke, get broke. It doesn't matter how few people are watching. It doesn't matter how much your popularity drops for whatever reason, politics or whatever, the money is still going to be there. And the money is there for everybody. And frankly, the NHL probably could have gotten more money. If you think about it, $600 million a year. Did you see how often they won the night? If the NBA wasn't winning the night, if the NBA was off, the NHL won the night. Mm-hmm. The NHL is probably, again, underpaid. But they were severely underpaid. And that was the thing, that 2011 deal, really not even the 2011 deal, all those time buys they had to do with NBC throughout the 2000s because no one would give them any money, really set this, the bar so low for them. Because then $200 million in 2011 was like, whoa, they went from nothing to $200 million. 200 million was nothing, right? <laughs> right it was right. it was not anywhere close to a good deal financially. But it was so low that they could triple their rights fee in this new deal and it's still only 600 million. I mean, it's I'll be better, real, it's better, but it's relative. I they should probably mean. be making a billion a year because NASCAR's making 820 million a year. The NHL is way more valuable to TV than NASCAR. And that's with the caveat, we know NASCAR gets better numbers, but that's once a week. That's correct. And you're talking about a bunch of major markets and you're talking about a whole lot more inventory, regular season and postseason in terms of the value on that. It's a network builder. Having the NHL Mm -hmm. made a difference because instead of having nothing on your NBA playoff off days, ESPN and Turner had not anything close to the level of the NBA, but they had a nice, solid other thing going. And, and really, when you got to the conference finals here for the West and for the East, it's better than anything else that was on yep. cable TV because it's live sports, like we keep yep. saying, for the benefit especially of Turner not usually having that. ESPN's used to that. But, yeah, one more point before we move on. You know who's really underpaid? And the funny thing is the person... I, I, us? Are you going to say well, us? No, yeah. you're not going to say us. No, Besides no. us, who else is underpaid? Well, it's certainly not a, a, a company people want to feel sympathy for, but the NCAA, they are not making nearly enough money on that NCAA tournament deal. Uh, it was actually uh, the person who brought this up and kind of brought it to my attention. I never really thought about it. I, if I recall correctly, it was actually Adam who's been riding on my side a little bit. Uh, he's, uh, you know, was in one of my classes and brought this up. I'd never thought about the fact that 800 million for the tournament. Yeah, it's for three weeks, right? But that's a, those three weeks, it's everything. And it's yes. so much. 800 million seems honestly a little bit, you know, a little bit light. Uh, that should be at least, a, a, I mean, certainly uh, I'm sure by the end of the deal, we all, we, we know that all these deals are growing each year, right? You don't get paid the same amount each year. Maybe by the very end of it, I think it'll get to a billion. I think because it's going to be around 900 million uh, in the next couple of seasons, but it's just incredible that it's, even though it's only three weeks that they're getting less than a billion dollars for that. Well, remember too, in the dynamic um, they were, they were flirting with ESPN. 
ESPN's biggest thing was that they wanted exclusivity. They wanted it all themselves. And the NCAA kept holding firm that we're going to be good to CBS, who's been loyal to us, and it's going to be a split deal. It's not going to be CBS exclusively. And CBS obviously doesn't have enough cable networks to be able to do it by themselves uh, and show the games as standalone. CBS could get away with split feeds like they did before in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s of split the feed to different regions of the country. But in terms of being able to show every game on a standalone separate channel, they couldn't do that. So that's why that deal is structured the way that it is. And had my point is, had ESPN been able to swoop in and get it all themselves, they would have plunked down the money they plunked down for the college football playoff, which is a whole lot less inventory at the end of all of this. It would have been similar. So just another point for that. ESPN was 800 million and CBS and Turner combined was uh, 880. Now, why ESPN wouldn't have just raised it, you know, 100 million? You know, seeing what they spend on Stephen A. Smith. Wow, I actually <laughs> couldn't remember his name. I was going to say Stephen Colbert. But seeing what they spend on Stephen A. Smith, I mean, it's amazing they didn't just pay a few extra mil- uh, tens of millions to, to get those rights. But, right. Yeah. But maybe it wasn't a bidding process. It was give us your best offer, and then we're taking the best offer. And the best offer also as a split between two of them. Yeah. Um, as that worked. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, interesting subject. So uh, as we release the sportsmediawatch.com podcast for this week, Amazon prime has confirmed that Carissa Thompson is the new host of their Thursday night football games. That'll be broadcast by Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet on the NFL on Amazon prime uh, that is upcoming for this NFL season. John, a thought, we, did, we didn't mention this before, but a thought now that it's official. Did it surprise you a little bit that it is her? The rumor had been maybe Kay Adams from the NFL Network yeah. or someone else. Any other final thought now that they made it official? Well, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no thoughts, realistically. I mean, we'll see. Amazon, Thursday night studio. I don't know. Uh, they, they're hiring so many different people. I don't even know what roles they're all going to play. Right. You know, it's a it's a good thing for Carissa. What did I Thompson see? Here. Richard Sherman is part yeah, of Richard that. Sherman. And obviously I was around Richard Sherman this past NFL season when he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I'm associated with the radio broadcast. He has always uh, done uh, well with media, with interviews. He has the legendary uh, WWF style promo after they beat yeah, the, the Seattle Seahawks um, or the Seahawks if beat the 49ers, right? Yeah. If you're ever trying to figure out what was the beginning of the end culturally in this country, it was Richard <laughs> Sherman's interview with Aaron Andrews, right? What do you that mean the like, beginning of the end of the culture itself or the sports yeah, culture right. or the sports interview culture? or Just the beginning of everything becoming extremely dumb. Uh, yeah. This was, if I recall, John Podhuritz, the uh, New York Post writer. Let me make sure it's John Podhuritz because this okay. is one of the dumbest quotes ever written. So I want to make sure I'm not misquoting anybody. Uh, let's see. Well, but anyway, while you're looking that up, Sherman uh, had a had a thing back and forth with Michael Crabtree, the receiver of the 49ers, the 49ers Seahawks rivalry. Seahawks won the NFC title game with Sherman shutting down uh, Crabtree for most of the game. And then on the critical play at the end of the game, he deflected a ball headed for Crabtree. They intercepted it. They won it. That led to the legendary interview that a lot of this audience is going to know about where he did the Aaron Andrews interview. My point simply is Sherman is far from a wallflower right. in terms of opinions no. and what he's willing to put out there. So he's part of that Amazon prime pregame coverage, halftime coverage, right. et cetera, I believe. So there you go. 
Okay, so John Potteretz, uh, he referred to Richard Sherman as the a role model for today's Taliban youth, right? <laughs> okay. Now, uh, look, I don't ever want to judge anyone for something stupid they said nine years ago. Uh, but man, this is like, I, I would love to ask John Potteretz what he meant, because I'm sure he'd be sitting there going, I have no idea. Because it's, it was such a dumb comment. But, you know, basically, if you're trying to go back to when this particularly noxious strain of the culture wars began, uh, I would say a good candidate is the reaction to Richard Sherman's weird interview with Aaron Andrews because it got weird, right? It was one of those things where all of a sudden people are talking about it in a way that's like maybe a little bit too serious, right? Uh, it was a pro, it was just, it was, it was dumb. It was the beginning of many dumb things to come. Actually, that's 2014, not 2013, 2013 season. So Mm -hmm. there you go. I was one year It's still classic. And again, Aaron Andrews is somebody that I'm familiar with. She's from the Tampa Bay area originally and has gone on to ascend to uh, Emmy level heights and is still part of the Fox NFL uh, coverage of uh, the main crew of the NFL on Fox. So she'll be there with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson this year as part of the number one uh, team. But still, it's priceless to watch Aaron's reaction in that moment. Again, I do this for a living as well, where you're interviewing people right after games with the live microphone. But her reaction looking at the camera almost... I, I liken it to those movies where you enjoy watching like Eddie Murphy look at the camera and coming to America. Like, yeah. are you all laughing like you should be laughing? She's kind of looking at the camera like, I had no idea this was where we were going, folks, but this is where we're going with his interview. Anyway, back to the larger point, he's part of a pregame show. How many people are going to see it on Amazon Prime is a different discussion. Yeah. I'm still on the front end that there's going to be so much streaming there. It will not surprise me if the NFL buckles and we start seeing this at least on the NFL network by the middle of the year from so many people screaming that they no. can't see the Thursday night game. You disagree with me on that, no. but not the middle of this year. Let's just see. Let's see. There's no way. Amazon's paying a billion dollars a year. That's a real company. You know, I mean, I understand. Whatever one might think about Jeff Bezos, you know, this isn't a deal with, uh, you know, Sports Channel America. It's a real company that that's paying a billion dollars for this exclusivity. And not even the NFL is going to do that. All right. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Fair enough. We'll see what happens uh, with that one more NFL broadcaster uh, nugget that's out there. Andrew Marshawn had this in the New York Post that it looks like for the good morning football, again, successful. It's gained some traction at the lower level morning show on the NFL Network, the good morning football show, that Jamie Erdahl of CBS will become the five-day-a-week host of that show, according to Marshan's reporting. Now, that's not been made official as of yet. John, what, if any thoughts, do you have on that move? Um, and I'm not clear on whether that means she's no longer with CBS right. on the right. weekend or not. I don't know if that's a trade-off or if that's this is her main thing and she will still do CBS on a freelance basis for the NFL or where she can. What do you think of all that? Yeah, I don't know about that myself. You know, it'll be very interesting. Erdahl is a sideline reporter and a traditional sideline reporter. She's not like the late, great Tony Siragusa, where there's a lot of personality in there. She's straight down the middle. I have no possible idea about her personality whatsoever. We've, we've never seen it. That's because you're not supposed to really show your personality in that role. Uh, Sager did it with his suits, right? You know, but in general... Right. You're just a side, you know, you're the sideline reporter. You're there to report. So I'll be very intrigued. I have no idea whether she has the skill set to do that role, which seems to require a lot more personality. She's done some hosting before, certainly not to something with this scrutiny. And obviously she would have had to have auditioned with them right. privately. I can't honestly say whether I saw her do fill-in work at any point with those guys, or if she just did private auditions, does it surprise you, John Lewis, that they've used uh, individuals like Rachel Bonetta, who they hired over the course of the last year to do a lot of NFL network stuff yeah. and fill in on this show. They've also used a couple of others. Colleen Wolf has been there. Uh, Colleen Wolf's out of the Philadelphia market previously doing a bunch of hosting has hosted on the NFL network. A lot of their coverage has hosted their Thursday night football pregame and halftime. They've used her as a fill in on that show and used her on the weekend version of that show. Does right. it surprise you that they did not stay in house a little bit on that? Um, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, it is always interesting when they go to other folks when they've got people in house. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that it surprises me. The reality is, uh, you know, you go for who you want to go for. Uh, I'm not familiar at all with Rachel Bonetta in like at all. I know I've seen her name mentioned. People seem to like her, uh, but I'm not familiar with her. Can't really speak to, uh, to, to speak about her. Uh, frankly, I'm really not familiar with Kay Adams even, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so, um, she was very good on that show. I say right, that I've again, heard publicly, things, yeah. very, very lively, move the conversation along, give some opinion. Uh, it will be, it, it will be interesting whether it's Jamie Erdahl or whomever else that's in right. there trying to host on how they will do in the long term. It's interesting to see where Kay Adams ends up and, and what is the next yeah. thing? Because again, from everything that we're understanding, she left that role for something else, something yeah. big. You don't leave that role for what, you know, what is it? We don't know. What is it? You know, if you lose the game of musical chairs, you you know, that's a tough thing. This is a very competitive industry, particularly for women in this industry, because they, you know, you know, they get pitted against each other all the time. Sure. Uh, they have less of a less amount of time to 
be in the industry because of the whole age situation that we've talked about before. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, you get knocked out of that musical chairs. Well, that can be a, that can, I mean, I mean, I could say career ender because there's all sorts of opportunities, but it can really alter your career if you uh, find yourself on the outside looking in. I promise that Love It or Leave It is coming up in just a second, uh, maybe a couple of seconds. Uh, John, say something about the NBA, the NBA draft coverage uh, that took place on uh, on ESPN since last we uh, released a, a podcast here on Sports Media Watch. Uh, a thought on the draft coverage. I, I think it's right. wild. I, I think it's wild just to put out there that the Orlando Magic, who have had number one picks before, end up very interesting, obviously, with Shaq and Penny in back-to-back years at the beginning of the franchise. The Orlando Magic admitted to everybody, we never talked to Paulo Bancaro. We never worked him out. What what is to draft him number one? And you've never, I mean, are you trying to outfox and out stealth everybody on that? Yeah. Uh, so that's a little crazy to me. But anyway, the draft coverage, uh, anything else here from the NBA as we head into their offseason? I know they've got free agency coming up, et cetera. But that's the last of the NBA on TV for yeah. at least a couple of months, right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I don't always watch the NBA draft, uh, but uh, whenever I do, I typically watch it to the end. This year being an exception, uh, eventually it was just, you know what? They're asking me to choose between Stephen A. and Jalen or Kendrick Perkins. My choice is riff tracks, right? I'm just going to go turn on a riff tracks and uh, call it a day. You know, look, um, ESPN... I mean, we all know how I feel about ESPN's NBA coverage. Uh, it's, it has nothing to do with the NBA and everything to do with their personalities. It's all about promoting Stephen A. Uh, there were so many Jalen's in the draft. So obviously, oh, wow, Jalen, you know, everyone's your namesake and talking about everything to do with Jalen's background. You know, uh, I, I did not watch the uh, the Kendrick Perkins version. I actually have no problem with Perkins. I'm not going to say the, the nasty stuff about him that Draymond has said. And Draymond should know better than to uh, use some of the language that he's used. And the fact that Draymond doesn't know better than to use the kind of language he's used about Kendrick is not a good statement about him. Draymond should hold himself to a higher standard. Uh, but, you know, I mean, just generally ESPN's NBA coverage is all about ESPN. Everything ESPN does is about ESPN. That's why I was so shocked when they spent 40 minutes on the uh, Stanley cup post game, you know, it was mm. actually, it was some of the best stuff I've seen ESPN do for a while because, you know, well, ESPN, they left it on ABC yeah. for that long, blowing right through local news window at 11 exactly. Eastern time, central time and stayed on for the cup celebration because so many years NBC would say good night, everybody with the first, you know, the captain's got the cups getting around and they're rolling the credits saying good night. And we'll continue this on the NBC sports network. But ABC did stay with it uh, that night. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, some people, you know, uh, Joker Devil, the uh, commenter on Twitter and uh, HF boards seems to believe that it had a lot to do with ESPN having Sunday Night Baseball. The reality is it's probably true. The fact of the matter is ESPN had Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN and ESPN2 and it went extras. So where else were they going to do any post-game coverage? I think putting it on ESPN News would have been something the NHL was not going to be very happy with. Right. So, I mean, it, honestly, to me, that must have been, that, there must have been a contingency ahead of time. They had to have known, okay, look, Sunday Night Baseball could run long, so we need the affiliates to know we're going to stick with this potentially That's to right. X, Y, or Z. There's no way it was at the last minute, but that probably did play a role because 
And, by, and by the way, that's yeah. not something they're unaccustomed to with the affiliates for these networks with late night games that, hey, if it runs long, if it's overtime, if it's the championship, just be aware your newscast is not going to start until right. we're done. And with the money we've paid, we're done when we say we're done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> On that. yeah. So it was it was interesting that they did keep going and keep going. And, and honestly, I have to tell you, at that point, it was such a gut punch. Uh, for the Lightning, I watched a little of the Stanley Cup celebration, but I did not turn it over to ESPN to even know that they that the Sunday night game was in extra innings, that mm-hmm. that might be part of the delay. I just found it interesting after the fact when you were reporting this and others were reporting this, that they hung in there with it. Anyway, circle back one more time to the NBA. I think you had yeah. one more follow-up point to mm-hmm. make on the whole criticism of uh, we'll talk live golf tour and it's about to be played here this weekend in portland this is the breakaway road golf tour we'll talk about that in a second but you wanted to relate it to something that the ex uh, espn longtime sports center anchor and outside the lines host bob lee was bringing up about the nba and go ahead john lewis well you know the standard well what about the nba look we all know the nba's relationship with china is not something that the league uh, looks very good, uh, you know, with. And the NBA certainly goes out of its way to stake out moral stances on issues that are wide ranging, including the Roe v. Wade situation last week. Uh, but the idea that, and, and, and you know, Bob Lee saying, well, all these people talking about the LIB golf tour in Saudi Arabia, why aren't you talking about the NBA in China? Uh, who's not talking about the NBA in China right now? ESPN may not talk about it very much. I think that's what he's meaning. His former employer doesn't want to touch it because they're intertwined with the NBA. Yeah, well, now I'm not going to pretend that OutKick is within a million miles of ESPN, but it's not, I mean, there's OutKick, New York Post, the entire conservative ecosystem, not to mention members of Congress. Like, this is no secret. What's going on with the NBA in China? So the idea that somehow, some way, that's you know obscure is 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 ridiculous. And I did want to mention one thing. You know, LeBron uh, certainly critiques of LeBron making money in China. Are I think uh, you know anyone who is anyone who has a financial stake in China is certainly deserving of some level of criticism, right? Uh, the same way that anyone who's doing business with the Russians would be, you know, but. <laughs> There is a huge world of difference, of course, between having some relationships with, you know, brands that do business in China and thus wanting to maintain good ties with China and straight up playing for a China run league and taking hundreds of millions of dollars from the Chinese government. So Bob Lee trying to, you know, make an equivalency there. Come on. Okay, that's going to lead us right into it. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Okay, so we have talked about this. A love it or leave it time for the Live Golf Tour, the Live Golf Series, which again is the breakaway league from the PGA Tour uh, and even the European Tour. The European Tour, you almost have to have a scorecard to keep up with this, John, is now known as the DP World Tour. Uh, so the, the, these events now are moving to the United States for the rest of the summer. The first one is in Portland this weekend. Will you watch some of this with the backdrop now of Bryson DeChambeau joining uh, this uh, tournament in Portland, along with Patrick Reed, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, the big names that are now in Portland uh, because it's now in the United States. Will they get a bump? Will they get more interest? They're going against a lesser PGA Tour event in the John Deere Classic. What is your take on all of that? Love it or leave it, John? 
uh, I would start with Give Me a Break. Uh, and by that, I mean, I'll probably be watching Give Me a Break, the 1980s sitcom starring Nell Carter. Nell Carter. Indeed. Hello, makes the point, makes the podcast. Yes. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell was a cast member on that show in the final season. I couldn't believe it. Really? Yeah, that was Talk a real about, surprise. You're a savant with this stuff. I got to go back and yeah. look now. I remember watching. What was the young man's name that was the child star? And he later Joey Lawrence. Yeah, Joey Lawrence. Uh, and he later and he later had somewhat of an acting career later on. And then no, he I mean, he's still acting. Uh, you know, look, Joey Lawrence. I, yeah, I, give me a the break. Lawrence, the Lawrence brothers have annoyed me since childhood. Right. I never because I, I was watching Blossom at a young age and I couldn't right. stand the whoa. Right. It was yeah. so annoying. Uh, I was much more interested in Mayim and Jenna Von Oy anyway. But the you know, the other thing, his younger brother did Boy Meets World. Right. So right. Will Freedy was Eric and Eric, when he went off to college, amassed all these new friends, one of whom was another Lawrence brother. Then I was watching Recess, the cartoon on Saturday mornings, and another Lawrence brother was the voice of the main character on Listen that show. To John just he go hit. on the tangent here yeah. on Love It or Leave It that he just wants to leave it with the Lawrence brothers. It was too it much was, for your childhood yes, viewing. Far too much. And I, I know I would, I, I believe there was some every now and again, I come across something from the 80s or 90s and like multiple Lawrence brothers are in it. It's just unbelievable. Oh, I know <laughs> what it was. I was, uh, I, I came across uh, the one with. Uh, Alfonso Ribeiro and Jason Bateman, maybe. Uh, Silver, Spoons. Silver Spoons, Ricky Schroeder, thank yes. you. Or okay. Rick Schroeder later in his career because he wanted to get rid of the Ricky. But yes, yeah. that's one I never got into. I stumbled upon Silver I was Silver big Spoons on that, but I'm day. much older than you. I'm, I was in the demographic that's middle school age, high school age, maybe even late elementary age, watching Silver Spoons as, as fun, safe sitcom comedy on, uh, on NBC. Yes, yeah. from uh, from way back. So, how did we get there when we started on the Live Golf mm -hmm. Tour and the oh, Breakaway? Because I said you're watching. Go I'd on. probably be yeah, I'd probably be watching. Give me a break, and not because yes. you asked me if I'd be watching, right? You said, "Give me a break," literally. Exactly. Now, as far as the Live Golf Tour goes, the reality of the matter is, I mean, I, what, whatever, right? Like, what is this? It's just a money grab. No one has any respect for it. It's not even like. This is the best in the world going at it for they're right. just going at it for the money. It's an exhibition tour. It's a dunk contest, right? Basically, the Saudis are out there paying all these guys millions of dollars to play in an exhibition. Whoop de doo. You know, and it's I an mean, exhibition that's not even the same format of most right. golf events. They're trying to do different things. And I you know what it reminds me of a yeah. little bit. Mm -hmm. The Russians bring in all these WNBA players. We know what Brittany Griner is dealing with right now, but they brought in all these Russian, all these WNBA players all these years to play games that nobody cares about. The Russian nobody. professional women's exactly. basketball league, you mean? Yes. There isn't a single WNBA player who has played a game in Russia that has mattered to anybody. Now I know women's basketball isn't hugely popular here, but if you're a basketball fan, you, I mean, I think some basketball fans, certainly WNBA fans, but even some non-WNBA fans know about the exploits of a Diana Taurasi, uh, a Candace Parker, right? Or Brittany Griner. But those Elena are all in Deladon, the States. Yes, yes. Well, Deladon, when she's healthy, but her career right. has been so affected by injuries. The reality of the matter is, I couldn't tell you what any of these players have done in Russia. Who cares? All I right, know, right. the only thing that I've ever known any of these WNBA players to do overseas is when Brianna Stewart tore her Achilles playing for her overseas team. That's what the Live Golf Tour is. 
there's they're playing for the money and nobody's going to care because it doesn't really matter. I, I disagree. And again, I got a much more of a, of a golf background than you do. You admittedly have not followed it a ton. I follow it religiously. They will have interest now that it's in the United States. How much? I don't know. CBS has the John Deere this week. It's going to kill the live golf tour in the ratings for what they're going to have online or YouTube. But I think the interest in this will grow some this summer because it's in the United States and they're strategically putting the events uh, on the off weeks of non-majors, et cetera, where there will be some interest in these tournaments to at least peek at it and watch. I'm not saying they're going to conquer the PGA Tour. That's not that's not happening. Can I can I say something needlessly controversial, but it's been something I've been thinking about for a while because I brought up the WNBA. If we talked about the Live Golf Tour in the Saudis, we talked about LeBron in China. I, it's a bit sensitive here, but how come there's been no, like even slight question about why WNBA players took all that Russian money to play for a country that is so hostile to gay rights, which is a huge part of the WNBA identity, a country that obviously is out there doing Nazi level stuff. But I mean, granted, they weren't doing that last year, but I mean, they blew the Malaysian Airlines plane out of the sky. Right. I mean, the Russians have been kind of quietly evil for a while. Hmm. Right. And so I'm not saying we should criticize WNBA players for playing in Russia because but it's not like I mean, it's not like they're playing for. Well, I know they're, the money in the WNBA is not good. It's it's very low. Play, but and by the and by the way, we should just elaborate this. The players are open about this, that it is it is lucrative, kind of like what you're talking about with the Saudi right. golf tour. That's what they're there for. They're not right. there for tradition rich Russian professional league basketball and Diana Taurasi has played over there. And you mentioned Brianna Stewart and Brittany Griner and others that have played over there because they're admitting we make much more money. Uh, I mean, you- it, it, look, compared to LeBron and Phil Mickelson, obviously their finances are not even close, right? Maybe some of them even needed the money financially, right? All I'm saying is if we're going to get into the discussion of judging you for where you make your money, which is, I don't know. I mean, like to me, uh, all I'm thinking is why in the world were these players playing in that country to begin with? All Even good though points. the money was good. All good points. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. College World Series did wrap up with Ole Miss pulling off quite the run uh, in the College World Series uh, in the college postseason baseball tournament the ncaa baseball tournament through the uh the different regional and then the super regional rounds and then the college world series uh, i mean john i don't know if you realize this but a couple of people began to point it out and i kept track of how remarkable the story is Ole miss was literally the 64th team in the tournament in the power rankings they were the 64th dead last at large team that was given a spot and yet they rolled through a regional at the University of Miami, tradition-rich University of Miami. They then played in a super regional with Southern Miss, Southern Mississippi within their own state, and blew them away. Then they go to the College World Series and don't lose a game. The 64th team rolled through the College World Series and beat Oklahoma in their little best of three in the, in the uh, double elimination round to win the College World Series. What an accomplishment. Now, Usually they've had these games now in the best of three as standalones at night. They ran game one last weekend on Saturday night. They, they immediately ran game two during the day 
on uh, on ESPN with Ole Miss ending the the series against Oklahoma. John, what are your thoughts? And I know it they probably took a blow for Sunday afternoon, yeah. right, with that, right? Well, Sunday afternoon is not that bad of a window, especially in the out-of-home era. But the Saturday night game actually did do better than the Sunday, uh, the Sunday afternoon game. I was a bit surprised to see that. You know, this is kind of interesting because the women were on a different schedule this year too, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And because of the NHL playoffs, the Thursday game too was on ESPN too. So you, you, the question becomes, well, what's better? prime time on ESPN two or the afternoon on ESPN. We had this exact same situation last year where the men's game three, because of a rain delay was um, no, actually the men's game three was on ESPN two in prime time. And the women's game three due to a rain delay was on ESPN in the middle of the afternoon. And the prime time in ESPN two was better. My instinct would be afternoon on ESPN. You're on the flagship channel. That makes a difference. Uh, and a Sunday afternoon would seem to be the better option, but you know, the numbers don't really bear that out. And if you look at the softball, the world series, the prime time in ESPN two for the women's game, their game two prime time, Thursday night, ESPN two, 1.74 million Saturday or Sunday afternoon for the men on ESPN, 1.54 million. So I guess prime time in ESPN two, we have evidence two years in a row is better than the afternoon on ESPN. Now, that, does, that doesn't mean you want to go up against Sunday Night Baseball, right, uh, which is ultimately one of ESPN's top programs of the week each week. But uh, maybe next time that afternoon game two would have to be uh, reconsidered. Uh, if they, you know, one thing in my view, you know, you don't necessarily need to have the games back to back to back. Uh, I know that that's something that mm-hmm. is probably better for the attending fans, but you know, Saturday game one, Monday game two, Wednesday game three. I mean, it's not the end of the world to have a few off days in there. Another thing that I would suggest for this tournament going forward, both the men and the women is best of five, which I know gets to a point where it's like dragging on a bit, but these best of three series are kind of a joke. They're over. You get a two game sweep. Uh, to me, uh, still, best there's an five. argument that you've had to win like two or three games to get to that series. And in, in the case of Ole Miss, they didn't lose that. I don't, I, don't think Oklahoma lost either. So they got to game one of the best of three quicker because neither right. one of them lost in eliminating everybody else. So it is, uh, it is interesting. I mean, it, it does beat, I'll put a smile on your face because I'm a savant about some of these things too. It does beat what happened back in the late 1980s or the early 1990s where they were playing this double elimination tournament all the way up until the NCA had agreed to give it to CBS for Saturday afternoon, speaking of Saturday afternoon, we want the championship game regardless of whether one of the teams has lost twice or not. That became a maddening point of contention behind the scenes and even it spilled over publicly of how is this a double elimination tournament except when you get to a predetermined championship game where a team that's already lost once gets to beat a team that's undefeated and they're crowned the champions because we say it's got to be on CBS at one o'clock in the afternoon, like it was for several years. So at least it's better than that is my point, John Lewis. It's better than that. What's really weird about that time is that every year, Brent Musburger would host the NBA finals and take game two off to do the college world series. And so Pat O'Brien would get to replace him and, (laughs) Who is taking the NBA finals off to broadcast? A, Carl Ravage didn't even take <laughs> Sunday night baseball off to do the college world. That's right. This year. 
He did game one, if I'm not mistaken, right? Of the series Saturday night. And then Sunday night, he did Sunday night baseball instead of doing game two. And I don't know that he would have been back in Omaha to do game three had there been one on Monday night. A yeah. good point. That's a great reference point, too, about Musburger doing those games on. Why do I remember? Did Sean? I think Sean McDonough did. did a championship the game, game. The or two. Uh, Alex Cora game, right? The game Alex Cora was in anyway. Yeah. With Miami, the, the college, the college World Series championship game, because at that point, Brent Musburger was gone Yep. Uh, from from CBS right after that, right after 1990 uh, on that one more subject here. Love it or leave it. Fun one. We mentioned the Colorado Avalanche eliminating the Tampa Bay Lightning. Can I tell the story on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast? I was at a restaurant. Uh, I will not name the restaurant just to keep it all, you know, kind of on the down low a little bit here. South Tampa restaurant. I had gone with my wife and my twin daughters again, turning 14 years of age earlier this week. I can't believe that, John. And you've seen pictures. I've got my hands full here with teenage blonde haired, good looking. Thank God they look like their mother. Good looking girls that are headed to high school. Anyway, we went to family dinner. Nice upscale legendary steakhouse, not a chain down in South Tampa. And lo and behold, when we went to go have dessert, because this place is famous for dessert, we went to go have dessert in the special area they have for dessert. The members of the Tampa Bay Lightning hockey team were there. Instead of being at game seven in Denver on Tuesday night of this week as we released the podcast, they were in this restaurant where we were. Very interesting. And obviously I'm in the media, so it's not as big a deal for me to be around and my wife, my, my children, others. They did have a couple of restaurant workers guarding the private dining room door where they were, but they were there. So I just thought I would share that. I was hobnobbing with the lightning. That's not the love it or leave it that I'm coming to, but I was hobnobbing inadvertently with the lightning. Instead of them being in game seven in Denver, they were sharing a South Tampa legendary steakhouse with me. They'd have rather been in Denver, John, than been in the steakhouse that night. I can assure you of that, but I just thought I would share that, that I was in there with them. So here's the love it or leave it. What a dessert menu this place has. I'm, again, I'm not going to min- mention it, but they've got everything from creme brulee, if you like that, to apple pie, to cheesecake of various forms of fashions, 12-layer chocolate cake, if you wanted, a pecan pie that I ended up having that was tremendous. Love it or leave it on the dessert, John. Give me a love it. Give me a love it on the dessert if you've got to have comfort food, if you've got to have a good one. Give me a good dessert. What do you like? Well, you know, at Publix, I'm sure you're familiar with Publix. They've got that. Uh, that's uh, in Florida. That's what? Uh, basically a religious yes. location, Publix. Yes. Uh, Where shopping is a pleasure, as the slogan goes. Keep going. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, Publix, pretty clean in my experience, which for a supermarket is a rarity. But I digress. So they've got this uh, this cake that they've got uh, with a lot of fruits on it, like lemons and limes. Well, not lemons, but lime and strawberry and a lot of almonds. The cake. Okay. I don't know about the cake. I, I don't know that I've Never ever partaken that? in that at a Publix. Key lime pie is tremendous at Publix. Uh, they have a couple of other ones that are good. The carrot cake is good at Publix, but you're saying whatever that cake is, you're down with that from Publix. Okay. Yeah, it's the vanilla. Let me see. This, this looks to be the, the one, the vanilla almond cream cake, All almond right. flavored vanilla cake. Ice and I, look, I've shopped in Publix free plug. They should sponsor the podcast. I've shopped in Publix for 30 years. I can honestly say, I don't think we've ever bought one of those cakes in my house. Single guy, married guy. I don't know that I ever had those. I may have to oh, try wait, it now. I know what it is. Recommendation. 
I know what it is. I was wrong. I was wrong before. It's the strawberry and peach sensation cake. Okay. So beneath this dessert's beautiful presentation awaits three moist layers of vanilla cake, sweet Bavarian <laughs> cream, and vanilla whipped topping. Fresh strawberries, peaches, kiwis, and red grapes grace the top of the Man. cake, while toasted almonds hug the sides. Now, wait, you're not a Florida guy. So where did you come across the Publix cake like that? Like on a vacation or how did you hear about it? Or where did you find it for the desserts on Love It or Leave It? Uh, in Florida, right. <laughs> of course. I uh, No, I, I, I'm not a Florida man, but, uh, you know, I've been You've around. Come across it. All right. And Publix, and, by the way, is now all over the southeast as well. Yeah. Well, Georgia as Kroger, well. Right. They battle Kroger. They're in Alabama, too. They're in South Carolina, too. I know that. Um, they battle uh, Kroger and Piggly Wiggly, don't laugh, and Winn-Dixie and others that are big southern grocery chains. So I got to check into the cake. I got to yeah, check into no, the you cake. You got to get it. You got to get it. Uh, chocolate. You're a chocolate cake guy. No, you know, uh, I don't mind it, but I prefer, okay. you know, I, one, I don't want the cake to be too sweet. Uh, I hate overly sweet cake. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be overpowering in that way. Uh, I actually I, I I'm in Meyer territory now, no longer Publix territory. And I've never thought Meyer was as good, to be completely honest. No offense <laughs> to Peter Meyer, the uh, representative, but I just Meyer is not within a million miles of, of Publix in my personal estimation. I will say uh, for my birthday, some folks uh, who I'm uh, close to blood relatives drove up from Georgia with one of these Publix cakes. Uh, it, they have got to have had their stock go up big time after yeah. showing up with this. Well, so I got to look into that. The strawberry and peach. Yeah. They told us. Cake. They told us that they told us that they were mailing me the cake for my birthday, uh, and so they, I was expecting the delivery. So I opened the door, and the delivery person hands me the cake, and they're kind of standoffish. I can't see their face. And then they come back and it turns out it's my relatives. They were surprising me. So they tricked me on the delivery. That's good. You're trying to figure out what's going on with that delivery person. And you got to let us in besides just yeah. giving you the cake. We're staying here. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, that I, was great. <laughs> what a great love it or leave it inadvertently on the, on the desserts with that. Uh, we've come to the end of another show. Anything else here, John Lewis, that uh, we've covered a bunch? Anything else you want to share before we are done? Um, you know, I mean, uh, there are other things I want to share, but we probably shouldn't talk about them. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or it could be more desserts. Well, uh, it it's, could be. It's more like all the political uh, like, culture war stuff. You, are you saying you don't want a second hour to the podcast? Because we've already well, kind of crossed yeah. the threshold of one hour. That would be a full another hour, whether we're talking about uh, Russians not being allowed to play at Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, we covered the WNBA. Yeah. Uh, we've got all kinds of other things that we could probably delve into, but we're probably good for right now, including me yeah. trying to locate this Publix strawberry and peach sensation. I, I sent you the link in the chat. I have that. And now I've got to look into it. Key yeah. lime pie. Have you ever had key lime pie? Love it or leave it. You know yeah, what I'm talking about? Florida yeah. delicacy, big time dessert. Can't go wrong there. And Publix makes a mean one there too. They should sponsor the show. I'm yeah. just putting that out there. Uh, for now, I think we're good. John, anything else? Uh, no, uh, just that Florida is the only place I've ever seen lizards just scuttling about uh, completely like bugs. It's never anywhere else in well, America have I ever you seen just that. You just said something that actually contradicts. You know why we love the lizards or the salamanders in Florida? They why? eat the bugs. They eat the flies. They eat the other bugs. We don't have the Not same effectively. problem. 
Well, maybe not thing, as effective where you were, but yeah. I can tell you where I live in West Central Florida. We don't have a big fly problem or flying insect problem by and large. Mosquitoes, yes, but can I tell you one other thing I've only ever seen in Florida, never anywhere else, is the love bugs. Oh, yes. you know, yeah, I've only ever but seen those. Se- they're seasonal, right? And they were actually in part a creation at the University of Florida, kind of accidentally, and they're seasonal. They're only here like for a couple months. That's it. But you're right. The love bugs are are well known for getting all over the car uh, at a high rate of speed and staining the car. But one Uh, thing I will say in favor of Florida, to my knowledge, no midges. The midges are far worse and uh, a little bit further up. uh, Jabba Chamberlain can tell you about those. Yes. Uh, I remember that from the playoff game. Yeah. I have to tell you a story sometime about that playoff game and viewing it and where I viewed it. Because I viewed it, oh, do you want me just to say it? Sure. On the eve of the Oklahoma-Texas game at a surprise birthday party for Barry Switzer. Wow. And I'm standing next to the Toby Keith. By the way, get well soon, Toby Keith battling yeah. stomach cancer, the country music star and legend from Oklahoma. I'm standing next to Toby Keith at the Barry Switzer birthday party, and we're watching that Jabba Chamberlain baseball playoff game with the Midges. And Toby Keith is looking at me and I'm looking at him and he's going, this is pretty crazy. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mr. So I just shared part of the story. I got to share that full story at some point with you where we almost killed Barry Switzer uh, yelling oh. surprise for his 70th birthday at a place wow. in Dallas. And Jerry Jones is standing 15 feet from me. Barry mm-hmm. Switzer is there. Toby Keith is there. It was crazy. And Java yeah. Chamberlain was trying to wave off the midges and the delay of the game from the gnats or the mosquitoes, if you don't know what we're talking about, in the baseball playoff game. All of that happened. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Well, I'm not making it up. No. I got to tell I, you the full story at some point. Yeah. I'd love to have a better story than that. I did ride an elevator once uh, with Tracy McGrady at All-Star Weekend, but that's, that's pretty much it. Did you uh, have any of that cake or key lime pie? Uh, we've digressed at the end of the podcast, but this yeah, is still yeah. good. McGrady, McGrady was on the elevator for how long? Five seconds, 15 seconds, you and he, 30 seconds? I don't know. It's a, it's a short amount of time. It was, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was there to profile Rachel Nichols, as uh, you might remember, uh, mm-hmm. that obviously, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, T-Mac was uh, on the show at that point. Uh, it was, it was uh, like a, a basketball parade i was just walking by and passed by bj armstrong and if i knew it was bj because only bj armstrong has ever looked exactly like bj armstrong before (laughs) scotty pippen is standing around but you know the funny thing is the person i was most starstruck by i mean i'll admit having grown up watching mcgrady was kind of exciting to see him in person but the person i was most starstruck by and this is the evidence that i'm a sports media observer was michael wilbon yeah Uh, yeah. And first of all, Wilbon's a lot taller than I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I don't know, because I'm not even that big of a fan of Wilbon, to be completely honest. I still remember that stuff he said about Sean Taylor, you know. But I mean, I've watched this guy on my TV for uh, two thirds of my life. So it was pretty amazing to see him in person that more than anybody. Uh, Sometimes you just happen upon greatness. You in the elevator with Tracy McGrady. We'll circle it back one more time. Me with the family at the South Tampa Steakhouse with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were not playing in game seven, but we're having a meal nonetheless. Uh, Stamco's party of 27. Come on down uh, for the restaurant for that night. With that, I think we're good. Unless you have any more dessert stories or anything else to share before we're gone. We good? I mean, I could talk about the time I met Sam Cassell. 
that's all you you know maybe on a future podcast (laughs) for that uh john have a safe safe and happy independence day weekend it'll be the fourth of july before we are back for the fireworks uh, and everything else that's going to take place uh this weekend for now though i think we're all good my friend i appreciate it there is john lewis i'm merely tj reeves again follow or subscribe to this podcast uh, for all things, all things uh, ratings, uh, sports media news, and even dessert uh, debate and uh, and recipe uh, recommendations. Find it all here, including George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Again, John Rooney is the guest this week, the St. Louis Cardinals broadcaster, 35 consecutive years doing local play-by-play of the Chicago White Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals in those two markets. And again, uh, Mike and Phil with the Announcer Schedules podcast, Kevin Kugler, their guest coming later in the week. For now, we are good on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast feed. Read the site, SportsMediaWatch.com, and have a safe 4th of July weekend. Bye.